Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Like, it's not smooth, it's not easy, but, you know, most things aren't smooth or easy, so that's okay. Hello, and welcome to Financials Podcast, Future Rich. My name is Barbara Ginty, and I'm your host and also a CFP, which is a Certified Financial Planner. And we have a follow-up episode today, which is always, I think, exciting. And so I'd like to welcome back, and I'm going to butcher the name again. I feel like you should introduce. I don't, I'm so bad at it. Eglatine. Eglatine? Eglatine. Never got it right in the first place. And you were two episodes. We aired your episode. Your original episode was episode 62 and episode 63, if you want to go back and listen to the original. So welcome back. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. We were just saying right before we started that when we talked, we had originally, we aired your episode in February of 2020, so right before everything fell off a cliff, Um, but we recorded in December and who knew we were going to be in a pandemic? We still are. Still are, and it has turned everything over here upside down. So yeah, I'm interested to hear um, what's going on. So for anyone who did, maybe didn't listen, do you want to give them a quick overview? You're in Boston. You're married. You now have a is it three year old? Yeah, he's three and a half now. Okay, and um, we have a two family home, so we rent out the an apartment, so that's some income. We get eighteen fifty from that. Um, and then we both, um, well, in however it is, in normal times we were both making fifty eight thousand a year, um, and life has gotten shaken up in the last year. So that's that is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> not really. It's like it's horrible. <laughs> but, um, and we had also talked about public uh, service loan forgiveness, which is like very yes, that is the desirable. one bright spot. So do you want to start with that? Because that is like the oh, good news. Yeah. Everything okay. else. Yes, let's start with the good news. <laughs> so, and yeah, uh, rarely is the student you- loan portion the good news. So I am very excited to, be, I think, be your first person on the podcast that has is actually she- gotten her yeah. loans forgiven. So over the summer, I had $158,000 forgiven through PSLF. You made it? Yes. I, I oh. had to fight really hard. It was not easy. Um, I will say that. And, but it's wonderful. <laughs> you were like in the like 1% club. Yes. Yes. That is oh the only God. 1% club I'm part of, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, congratulations. Well, will you give us, why don't you give our listeners a little bit? We had talked about it with, um, when you first came on, how complicated it is with getting it recertified and following all the steps in order to meet the requirements to have it forgiven. And a lot of people miss steps and therefore never get it forgiven, like 99%. Right. We're and hoping I it gets better. Also, but. 
I'm also probably part of the statistic of getting rejected because I did get rejected. I had to get rejected like three times before all those things. Yeah. So technically I finished grad school in 2007. I started repaying in like the fall of 2007. And so I, in theory, this program is supposed to be like a 10 year program, but obviously I got it forgiven in 2020. So that was actually 13 years or 12 and a half years, depending on how you look at it with the calendar. Um, so I did actually pay for two extra years. Um, so it's not like this was a clean, perfect PSLF (laughs) story. Um, I think that you making it through. So basically you paid 20% more, right. than you needed to, right. If you add on that two years. Um, but I think that's 100% better than not making it. Right. Well, the most painful part to me was those first two years. The reason they didn't count is because I did not know about the income-based repayment plans. So uh-huh. I was paying the thousand bucks a month during that time. Oh. And so the the time that I was paying the most money didn't even count. And that kind of just killed my soul a little bit. Yeah. Because that's like with the government, like that's not logical. Like it does, that like makes zero logic. Like- like there's no sense to that. There should be a way for them to just clearly see, oh, had you been in in income-based repayment, you paid more than what would have been that payment, that should count. Right? Yeah, like they should account it for like 3 years. <laughs> right. Or but to me, even if it only counted for the year that it was, but like as long as you paid more than it would have been on IBR, like they have your tax records, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they could have done that. But they we don't. don't. We don't want to use logic, though. I mean, why would why would we do that? Exactly. Exactly. So that's my biggest thing to everybody is to get on the income based repayment plan as soon as possible, and then do the um, employment certification as soon as possible. And you have and to do that yearly, correct? So you don't. Ha- that's where it gets tricky. You don't actually have to. It's just, I would just recommend it because when you don't, so when I first started, they didn't even have the paperwork for employment certification. It like didn't exist. They were like, oh, paperwork won't exist till 2017. You don't have to worry about it. Um, Oh my gosh. Let's create create a program. You know, that's the thing. Like when people are like get nervous when programs get created or there's big like changes, it's like, don't worry about it. Like they haven't created any documentation yet. Like they put right. out a new law, but like we don't have a process. Like they just wrote about it. We haven't actually put it into practice and that's going to take more time. And it was crazy. And my first loan company actually was put out of business because they were so corrupt and like kept lying to people. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so getting the documentation from that, it was, it was a nightmare. I had to do a lot of legwork, but like for anyone listening, trying to do it, I first say get in an IBR plan, do the, um, do the certific the, the eligibility certification for your employer. And if you work for any nonprofit, if it's a 501c3, I think, or yes, B, correct. Correct. Yeah. 501c3. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a government, um, agency basically, um, it should qualify. And my case was, more complicated than most, I would say, because I was working at multiple part-time places because I'm a professor. So I was an adjunct professor at multiple places. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't love that. They want I for them to for they them They want you to make it easy on them. <laughs> right. Of course. Exactly. And and then there were like tiny details like like if you're working full time for one school district, the summer months absolutely counts as as qualifying payments. However, if you're an adjunct and then you switch schools, those summer months don't count, even though you were never going to actually be employed during those months. Um, and so, yeah, there's like just some weird nitty gritty details that that were obnoxious. What would you say was your best resource? Because I feel like what people write about and actually putting it into practice are very different. Yeah. So I think... I I think I did two things ultimately um, that got me success. I think, oh, the overarching thing, number one, is I was very committed to having this work. Like I was not going to give up, right? Like this was going to work if it, if it killed me. (laughs) So I was going to figure out the paperwork. I was going to talk to whoever I had to talk to and I was going to get every month that I could possibly get to count to count. Um, and so persistence is going to be persistence. Key. That's the right word. My mind was a little blank. Sorry. Persistence is exactly like the number one thing. Um, 
Then I would say when you think you have enough months or you're close, but you're not sure because maybe their count is like wackadoo way off because they like to not count the months before you went to Fed loan. Like they won't count them automatically until you apply. So you need to apply even though you know you'll be rejected the first time. So this is, I think, also, also why. let me just stop you. Fed loan. So I think that's like one thing that people miss. When you're in this process, it has to be adminned by Fed loan. So yes. Well, the process, this is where it's also confusing. So your loans can technically be with other servicers, but not when you're actually getting the forgiveness. So at the end, it absolutely has to be with Fed loan. I think it's easier it and everything's there. be more smooth if you were with Fed loan from the beginning. But if you were in an IBR plan before Fed loan, those still count. But Fed loan claims that their computer can't read documents from any other loan servicer. So oh, they yeah. have so There's this special document reader <laughs> yes, that they weird. have that only reads their documents. It like ignores any other Adobe document. Yeah. Of no, course. but they, they need a person to read the old things. Like they don't have enough people. So And so the only way to get everything to count, like to get a real full count, is to apply. Um, even if your count says, oh, I only have 12 payments, you're like, no, I've been doing this for 12 years. I definitely have more than 12 payments that should count. You have to apply. And in applying, they a human has to look at all of your documents. And then after you get rejected the first time, then there's an option to try and see do you do you qualify for the expanded PSLF, which has a limited amount of funds, but I think it hasn't run out yet. Um, and that that's like a, a slight variation, but you're eligible for that once you get rejected. But if you're only rejected, if you're like, basically, if you're not rejected for the right reasons, you're not eligible for the expanded. But once you're rejected the first time, you have a better count of your numbers and you'll get a better sense of where where the gaps are. Yeah, like where the issue is that's preventing. Exactly. And then you can try and say, what is going on here? And so one thing that happened to me was at the very beginning when I was first starting an IBR plan, they both switched me to the IBR plan and billed me my $600 or whatever it was supposed to be for that loan for that month. Okay. And I obviously didn't pay the the high one because I was now on the IBR plan that was also 50. So it was both were billed, but I never paid the big one because I wasn't supposed to. And right. when I called to reconcile it, when I the person that I talked to on the phone a thousand years ago was like, oh, it's fine. You're on this other plan. Don't worry about it. However, if you're delinquent on any payments, no future payment will count until that one has been rectified. So okay, they won- let's repeat that because I feel like that is critical for everyone to know. So the person on the phone was absolutely incorrect saying like, you can ignore that bill it was sent erroneously, but because it was sent and not paid, you were delinquent. And if you were delinquent, then no other payment after is counting. Exactly. Jesus. So I had to have a human at a high level <laughs> go in and see, oh, this was an error. And then we had to apply, we had to submit some extra documentation to like, to show like, this was a mistake. It shouldn't count as, as that and get all of these months now to count. Um, so again, it's just extra legwork, extra time on the phone with FedLoan. Um, and I guess like, even though you technically don't need to be with FedLoan, if they are going to require a human to count all of your documents, if you switch over to FedLoan at the end, yeah. I almost feel like starting with them from the get-go would eliminate a potential problem. Yes. Oh, I think if you can get in there, the sooner the better. I just okay. don't want anyone to freak out if they're like, wait, I'm not with them. This won't count. No, it should. If you're already on an IBR plan, it should count. And doing the employment certification is what will get you kicked over to Fed loan. Like they will switch you. They will transfer you to Fed loan once you submit an employment certification. Got it. And then another little booby. So the, the hard part about these programs when they're put in a place and they don't give um, you know, they put, I, f- I feel like my impression of them is like someone stands up on stage and says, this is a great program we're going to offer. And then they get off stage and then it's like, okay, well, how do we implement it? Like what, give me the steps. And then they're like, oh yeah, no, like we don't have those, but th- this is going to work great. And it's like, okay. And because this program, when it was put into place, there were so few, like you're figuring all this out by doing it and talking right. to the people and getting the humans and getting the managers you're finding out all the areas where they haven't given clear instructions, right? Exactly. Because the person who you talked to on the phone was not told 
was not giving you accurate information by saying, don't worry about that bill. It's not going to have an effect. And when it had a massive effect and that five minute phone call probably cost you hours of your life and almost risked the program. So because so many people haven't been successful in getting through it, there's just a lot of misinformation or unknown information, right? Of like, exactly. There is no one master document to say, you know, there's a document that's not accurate saying, here's, you know, 10 years, make your income based for payment and it's forgiven. But obviously it doesn't work that way because the statistics on getting it forgiven are so low. Exactly. So we are going to super promote this because I think you're the only human being I have met who's been had it forgiven. And I talk to thousands of people a year. Yes, it is. I know one other person in real life that has had it work for them. Um, and I know a lot of people with school loans. <laughs> yeah, we know a lot. I think we know a lot of people with school loans. And the fantastic part about the public public service forgiveness program is you didn't owe any taxes on your forgiveness. Correct. Correct. Which is a, which is a dream because taxes on that could right. have been pretty It would have been astronomical. Yeah. Been astronomical. And, and also would have just put me in a totally different tax bracket, right? It wouldn't have just been like, you own taxes on it. It would have been you owe taxes on it in a – like totally different bracket. Yeah. You would have probably owed like 50,000. And then now you're, you know, the other side of that loan is the IRS and nobody, you don't want to, they're not as nice. (laughs) Exactly. So the other thing that I did, like, so when I got to the point of absolute frustration and I wasn't getting all the answers I needed and it seemed like it should be just going through and all this stuff, I contacted my Senator um, oh. which are Elizabeth Warren and her office. And I'm not sure what they actually did or didn't do, but about a month or so after I contacted them and all I did was Google like Elizabeth Warren office. And there's like a for a constituent form for like, what's your constituent issue with like the federal government, you know? <laughs> and I looked at my stuff after that, I got basically a, what I'm going to call a concierge service almost from Fed loan. Like I had my own own guy that I had his direct phone number and his direct email address. And I dealt with him every single time. And once it switched to him, we could really clear up the issues. Because I think one of the problems is every time you call, you get a different person and they tell you different things or they can't actually make changes. And so you need the guy that can actually make the changes and is actually following your case. I like to call them decision makers. I am constantly on the phone being like, I need to speak with the decision maker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> somebody exactly. who, yeah, somebody who has the power to say, okay, this is this is incorrect and I'm going to make the change and say, okay, we are going to eliminate those delinquent payments because they were erroneous versus somebody on the phone that says, you know, I need to get my supervisor or, you know, I can't, I don't have a direct line. Like those people aren't going to be helpful right. when you're in this situation. Exactly. I wish we could like give out his information, but I know you can't. I, I mean, <laughs> so I the recommendation not to, but <laughs> he would be bombarded. Like we have so many listeners, he would get so many messages. So I would say I think that's also great advice to call your senator and say, you know, I because the, they're supposed to represent us, right? And so you're you're working on. I do think that helped. Like there was nothing that said this is why I got connected with this guy at FedLoan, but it seems to me there was a connection between me reaching out to that office and then all of a sudden I got my own personal FedLoan person. Yes. Very Um, serendipitous if it wasn't, but I feel like I absolutely would add that as a step. If you're not getting anywhere, call your your senator and request help with FedLoan. And one thing, and this is very Massachusetts specific because I'm in Massachusetts, but one thing that has happened since then is that Maura Healy, our attorney general, basically filed lawsuits against FedLoan because of all the BS that I had to deal with and and many other people, obviously, not just me. And so if you're Massachusetts constituent, there are things that FedLoan now like has to do for you, which should be standard, like check your real count and talk to you and stuff. But look up- Basics. Right. Like basics. I was hoping it was going to be like we get paid or something, but I was really hoping to get some money back out of this lawsuit. But instead, it's just treating future people better. Um, but feel, but if you're in Massachusetts and maybe other states are doing similar lawsuits, um, I would look up what you're guaranteed from that. That would be like if I was still in it, I would probably be I'd be more well versed in what that lawsuit achieved, but it seems like it seems like it was a, a move in the positive direction that I'm hoping will help more people not to have to deal like, with this. Deal with this in the same way. It shouldn't be this hard. 
it shouldn't be no and I and I think that's always been like my advice is like let's try for it but you have to be prepared for it to be hard and time consuming yeah and if you're not willing to put in the time you know because not you are very very persistent and other people probably get frustrated and say I I can't just keep doing this I'm banging my head against the wall I'm not getting anywhere it is a little complicated at the moment if anyone's applying right now because all the payments have been suspended and so like all the the, like last year of payments totally like of $0 count, but they don't necessarily automatically get updated in the system. So that's where, again, you have to fully apply and then they have to like manually add in this last year's number of payments. Right. Because they were very specific in saying these count. Yes. Yes. And they did. The last few that counted for me did. Um, even though I shouldn't have needed them, like I was telling you about the those right, random months other, that yeah. count or whatever, so it ended up being a bunch of free months. So I wasn't mad. I was like, okay, I'm not paying more at this point. Um, it was more just annoying. I was I was morally perturbed. You know, it's just like <laughs> insane. But um, it's worth Con- it. I'll congratulations! Say. That's a very impressive feat. Thank you. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to add that has been a friend of mine told me this advice when she was trying to figure out if she was doing the program. I thought it seemed good. Like if people are trying to figure out, is it worth it? She figured out that basically if your annual salary is equal or more to how much you owe, then don't aim for PSLF. Just pay it off as fast as possible. But if you owe more than your annual salary – and you don't anticipate like quadrupling your income in the next few years, it's worth it to do PSLF. And and that makes sense because if you think about what your annual salary is versus what you're going to take home, right? Because your annual salary, if it's equal to, right, you're not actually putting that whole amount in your pocket, but you should have enough to be able to pay it off faster. Right? Exactly. And, like and the then standard- be done with it. And then probably exactly. not spend all of the time and energy that you had to spend to get it forgiven. Exactly. So, like, if you're a person that is making $150,000 a year, yeah, you can probably pay it off in less than 10 years and you don't need this. But if you're a person making $35,000 a year and you owe – Oh, yeah. You owe like, one hundred and fifty, dollars it's going to take you forever. Exactly. And even if you're making thirty five dollars and you owe seventy five, dollars like, it probably makes sense because if you're making $35,000 a year, your payment on income-based repayment is probably zero. So it's probably worth it for you, even if you might make a bit more in the future – all those zero payments will count um, if you're in the right program and submitting your things. So yeah, I think that's a great benchmark because it is hard to know whether it's worth it or not. And I, I usually err on the side, even with the you know the twenty year forgiveness, not the public mm-hmm. service, but the other one. Yeah, if it's a, a, about, and I did vary a bit, not necessarily on income because it also depends on like cost of living and some of the other variables, right? Like how many people you're supporting, what's your disposable income. But yeah, if you have the income to pay it off, I always, I usually err on the side of just getting it over with right? rather than going through all the hurdles and obstacles. Because there's, you know, that you're investing your time in it, right? You, you spent a lot of time on this. Right. If I was a human making 150000 or more dollars a year, my hourly rate would be worth so much more than the amount of time I put into getting this loan. <laughs> yeah. Right. You would have made more money on your career and just paying it off than investing in this. But Exactly. And, and that's why with personal finance, I always say there is no right or wrong. It just depends on your situation, right? So just because something's right for one person doesn't make it right for another. Because I often hear people say like, oh, well, my sister did this or my, you know, significant other did this or my best friend did this. And like, that might be the right decision for them, but it might not be the right decision for you. So always worth investigating your own situation. But for you, this was a huge win. Yeah, it was really good. It was really good. And we got all this great information from you. So thank you. Anytime. Yeah, I'm happy to. (laughs) (laughs) You are our real living, breathing uh, public uh, service loan forgiveness example here. We don't have any. Exactly. Well, I feel like it's important because so many people kind of poo-poo the the idea of it. Like, you know, on message boards and stuff, they're like, no one ever gets it. Don't even try. It's like, well, it's worth trying, like, if you fit the parameters. So yes. it's important to say, yes, some of us it does work for. Like, it's not smooth. It's not easy. But you know, most things aren't smooth or easy. So that's okay. I would agree. I would say most things that are worth it are not easy. Well, very good. Okay, so that's exciting. And and so fill me in on what else is going on. 
So the flip side of pandemic is that I'm losing my job. Oh, no. Um, Yeah. So I think – and I did – I think I mentioned in the first one that my school is a little precarious because it was a small school that doesn't have a lot of money. Money. Yes, you did. Um, And so in that way, I was right. (laughs) Unfortunately. It was a little wobbly pre-pandemic, a lot wobbly post-pandemic. Right. Like there it wasn't just a wobble. It was it was bad. Um and so in the first months of the pandemic, it was a lot of true crisis. Are we going to close like any day? Can we even finish out the semester? Is there enough to pay everybody? You know, there was this oh, like man. freak out because the school itself in normal times, it's a good thing they do. They diversified their income to um, like things like uh, they rent out the land or they have weddings or they have oh, wow. a preschool. And because it's, it, it, we mainly serve low-income minority students, so we weren't tuition. We, weren't, we were about 50% tuition, 50% all these other revenue streams. Okay. However, all of those other revenue streams got shut down in the pandemic, yeah. right? There were no right. weddings. There I would say no weddings, no nursery school. There was no renting out our athletic fields to other schools, right? There was there was zero so we were 50% down and um we were 50% down and i'm going to say the administration of my school was not terribly creative in problem solving in my opinion um, okay <laughs> i'm i'm the art professor so i'm just bitter when no one is creative and they don't talk to me but that's okay <laughs> cuz they could have maybe been more creative in helping improve their financial situation i think so i think we could have done a number of things but ultimately the college president basically sold us to a larger university next door. Um, I, the analogy I give a lot is I think you're basically my generation of the company that Richard Gere, like kind of worked for. In yes. Pretty yes. Like we were, we were a land acquisition and we were gutted, right? They just, Oh my God. <laughs> they bought your school or they, you were sold. You're sold. But for the land, and you're all out of a job. Exactly, exactly. Because our property, the school is in a very expensive area, and so the property itself was worth over a hundred million dollars. Oh my gosh! And why didn't they do a lease back? I I was not. Yeah, I feel like I have an idea for that. I know there's there's so many things. So many things we did not try. They could have leased it to them for less than the purchase. You know, you could. It so many things. <laughs> so um, basically, this other university ca- is paying for a teach out. Basically, okay. so they they funded us for this year, and in theory, they're funding what's left of the school for next year. But I was not asked back for next year. Okay. Um, so I get a severance, which I'm told is a really good severance, but I'm still angry and bitter at the world because. It is not the same as my tenure track position, which would be income for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you'd been there for a while. And I, right, I have been there since 2007, um, which is insane. And what and would you have needed for ten, like to be tenured? For me to get tenure was just another year of the school being open, but it okay. wasn't, me being hired back for next year wasn't about tenure or not. It was okay. that school doesn't value art, basically, <laughs> okay. uh, is what it comes down to, that that there were only a handful of art majors and they don't care about the art majors. They care about the business majors. Um, I I mean, that's not the language they're using, but I'm looking at. No, they packaged it a little differently, I'm sure. No, they kept three business faculty and zero, you know, art faculty. faculty. Um, Oh no. So, okay. So you have severance. So you will. Severance. Okay. and, And I've been saving. So that's one of the things we kind of touched on last time of like, you gave me homework. And one yes. of the things was kind of like, as you kind of tell everybody, but it was a little more precarious for me. It was like, should I start putting into retirement or do I need to bulk up my emergency fund? Um, and because, I, I mean, this is not a good reason, but it sort of has worked out, I guess. I I couldn't figure out how to set up my retirement. Huh? Well, like I was in the middle of like emailing back and forth with HR to like figure it out when the pandemic happened, okay. right? Yep. And because you gave me, you know, there were a number of things on the homework and, you know, it was only a few months after we had talked. So it wasn't like that yes. long. 
No, it wasn't that long. Yeah, we don't, we talked, pandemic hit like three months after we had spoken. Exactly. So I had emailed HR to like try and figure out how to set it up. And I was trying to figure out how much to put in. And then pandemic happened and all of this like. The world came like, crashing down. School, and I was like, I should probably be liquid right now. Um, <laughs> so I've just been saving. So I have, so I'm, I'm feeling good. Well, I'm not feeling good. The reality is I've been incredibly depressed since I found out that I only found out about my layoff layoff a couple weeks ago. Like oh, a week no. ago. My husband's like very confused why I'm depressed about it because he's like, you knew you were losing your job ultimately. Like it was either this year or next year. It's like, but it's different. It's this year. You're like, but next year was in the future. Exactly. <laughs> this is in the present. And it's also like an ego blow because I'm like, you know, I'm like a high achieving, I mean, not income wise, but like, obviously I have persistence. I am a person that like, gets yes. my CV really good. I like to get good grades if I was in school, you know, like it's a blow to my ego that they didn't choose me to stay, even if it wasn't about me, but like, it's yeah, a blow. Especially after 14 years. It's a long, yes. it's a very I long time. So my life to them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that's probably what hurts the most um, is you like commit to this career with this institution. Right. And then exactly. they didn't really put a lot of effort into salvaging it. And then they just let you go without like yeah. a lot of effort. It wasn't like we've tried all of the, I feel like it would feel different if they're like, we've tried all of these things to salvage the school. Like, I mean, they, I mean, they did, but I think, I don't know. Well, there's a lot of insider baseball politics, whatever in academic. I, th- I think the college president really likes the idea of being affiliated with this other college. And I think mm-hmm. he hopes he will have a high position at the, at the university that bought us. Got and, it. Okay. Um, Stepping up a little. <laughs> I think I think he's thinking that, but at the very least, whatever this man, he makes so much more money than us that he can't even understand like what it's like to not be at that level. Right, exactly. Like so. So what do you have saved up then? So, and I agree with you because the thing is, you know, you make decisions based on the information you have at the time. So we had spoken in December. We knew the job was a little or very. I feel like in December it wasn't incredibly wobbly. It was a bit wobbly because we knew- It was more just like long-term. It wasn't like Harvard. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't as secure as other professor professor. Exactly. So it- it, So I think that that was- But I didn't think it would close like the next year. I wasn't like, oh, it'll definitely close next year. It was more just like, yeah, this feels good, but it's not- It's not super stable. It wasn't 100% like a government job where you're like, I don't think the, you know, DA is going out of business anytime soon. Exactly. So, okay. So how much do you have saved up? So right now in my account, in my checking account, I have 24,000 because I've been able to save um, a little over a thousand a month um, since everything kind of hit the fan. Okay. Um, And then we have, do you want just like all of our numbers? Yeah, that'd be great. Cause I, I think you mentioned you have a spreadsheet. Cause you know, yes, there's like, there's, there's like too many numbers in front of me, quite frankly. But so in terms of just cash available, so I have about 24000 and it seems like I'll be able to continue to save about $1,000 a month um, until uh, the severance runs out. Maybe even okay. a- And when does severance run out? So it will, um, this is where I'm almost, I'm usually very comfortable talking about money. It's very strange that I'm a little bit awkward once I found out it was in theory good because I feel so bad about it. But so I get a year's severance. Um, That's fantastic. So. You were there. You, I would like to remind you that you were there for 14 years. So It's true. And I was realistically very underpaid in the industry. So like a number of things. So yeah, so I get a year's severance and my normal page. So my normal paycheck will end um, August 6th and then the severance will clock will kind of start then. So Okay, so you'll get paid till August 2022. Yes. Perfect. Okay, great. That gives you uh, a lot of time. So it gives me a lot of time. Although the, this past year went so fast in this weird way that I'm kind of just like, yeah, a year sounds great. And then also, what? No. How could I possibly reimagine my whole life in that amount of time? Like, it's yeah, very different. It's very different. Yeah. So I so I have 24,000. Um our joint account has ten thousand, but we kind of go through about five thousand a month just in like our expenses. like our household expenses and stuff. It's kind of our monthly churn. And then my husband has six thousand. 
And I have, and then as like backup, backup, I have art account. So, because as an artist, I get grants and stuff. So okay. I'm a, I guess you'd call it a side hustle, but I don't see it as like spending money. I don't, this is, it's a, such a strange thing. Basically, I put any money I get from art grants in there and then I buy all of my art supplies and f- photo equipment and stuff from that and okay. do taxes as such for that business. Okay. Um, but well, you know, if I'm, if we're going to get like miss a mortgage payment or something, I have like $8,000 in there. It's okay. just not yeah, allocated yeah. for general funds normally. And then I have like a super backup account of another 10000 that's shared with the, um, a family member who I'm going to be her like estate. What is it? Like if she dies. Uh, you're her executrix or executor. Yeah. I'm the yeah. executor. Exactly. And she wants to make sure that there's cash available for anything that has to happen before like money can be distributed. Mm-hmm. Uh, like but, expenses and so forth. Like expenses. Exactly. Like she has very specific things about what's to happen with the dogs. Right. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the money for that. Right. Exactly. Um, but so she if, says, you know, if I'm in like a huge bind, like we can use the money, just make sure to, to have funds available by the time she dies. <laughs> So it's like, it's like my I can, in my head I call it the oh shit money. <laughs> yeah, like the backup backup. Yeah, it's the backup. I love that. I love that you're like I have this backup. Okay, and then it's the other backup that's like a super backup. Yeah. So I would say between not including your check, your like you you know the you have like a your I don't want to call it, I don't call it a slush fund, but like your monthly churn is five. You have ten in there. So why don't we just like pretend that that's not there? Yeah. Um So your emergency fund is twenty four thousand. Your husband's is six. So between the two of you, liquid, you have thirty thousand. Yeah. Which is six months of expenses, right? Yes. But you're, you're, now your husband is still working. Yes. Although, yes. His is – it's a weird comp- – he did get, like, furloughed during, like, when shutdown, shutdown happened. Okay. But because during shutdown, shutdown, there was the extra, extra unemployment money, he actually yes. did better. Better. Okay. Um, and he's still currently – so Massachusetts has this thing called work share. Okay. So he's unemployed one day a week. And so he gets unemployment for that one day. So then he, but he also still gets the extra three hundred. Yep. That currently in the thing. Um. So it's like, it's good for now. When it runs out, it'll be a little bit like, is his income going to go down? Will his boss be back at full speed? You know, we don't really know. No. Okay. So and five thousand is your monthly, including what you need, because you also have the rental income. So we have the rental income. But that um, your five thousand you need to spend is that including the rental? Is that already supplemented by the rental income or? That is not. That is just things going out. That's money going out the door. That's not okay. being offset. Got it. Okay. Well, I think okay. So here's what I think. So it, I think it's fantastic that you have the separance and that you can continue. You think you'll be able to continue to save a thousand a month for that time frame, right? Yeah. That will get you to a really, just like not including your husband's money, but that will get you to a really nice emergency fund if you're able to do that. That's, a, you know, we'll just, if we say like another 12000 it'll probably end up being more since we're in April here, but yeah. just to give us some wiggle room, that would get you to 36000 a month, right? Or 36000 total that you have saved. Yeah. That's basically six months worth of money. So if you had to spend that down once severance ended, you could support the whole household on that for six months. Yeah. And or me for a year. It's kind of how we, exactly. like, my mind, I think of it as my, like. Your money. Yeah. So if, if he was still, yeah. <laughs> I think that part is my money. <laughs> hey, that's totally fair. So then that way, yeah, that what I was going to say is if, if your husband lost his job, you could support, you know, the household. Uh, right. If he's still working, then, it, yeah, it lasts a year. Um, which is fantastic. So in two years time, I would think that you would definitely have a job. I think a year is doable. I do agree with you. I think it's much harder with a pandemic going on. You know, it's just like, we're not out of it yet. Um, and I also know it's hard to like reimagine your life. And I know this is corny, but they always say when one door closes, another one opens. Right. And it might, you might look back on this time and be grateful, not now, but like when you look back on it in the future, you might be grateful for this change in your path. I Um, hope so. I really hope so. (laughs) I I feel like in the moment, it's always so hard when change happens. And like, trust me, I'm not definitely not good at it either. But I I, I, usually there's a lot of ugly tears. Um, And then 
<laughs> ugly tears, a lot of ugly tears. Um, but I have always like I've had things that have happened that it's not what I like because I'm a planner, obviously, that have not you know gone as the way I planned it or the way I envisioned it. And I've always been happy, you know, maybe six months down the road, not in the moment, that it worked out the way it did. So I'm hoping that will happen. I'm sure that will happen for you. It just takes a little time to cap- recalibrate, you know, and re envision your life. Yeah, that's the thing, and it's like. It's academia is not as stable, obviously, as it used to be. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like, oh, I can just find the same job at a different school. Like there was one job posted, there was one photo professorship posted for my region this year. One. Like one. Oh <laughs> dear. I, right. But and even in normal times in the region, there's like maybe five, you know. And so it's just a very niche, yeah. play, a very niche market with um, way too many people, people. available. So um, like have you very qualified people? So have, it's just a very. Have you thought about not being a professor or not having that be your main source of income? Yes, okay. only I mean, mainly out of like reality. That's a weird way of phrasing it, but <laughs> <laughs> yes. In that, because I'm, because I just think it's very unlikely that in the next year or even two years that I'd be able to fully secure it, right. which is hard because I've been working for this for so long and it is, it's like the lifestyle I want and it's a job that I love and like it checks all my boxes. It, you know, it's like a very good work life balance and summers and very kid friendly for pickup and drop off and all that kind of jazz. Um, but, I'm, I do think I'm very, I'm, I don't know if very is the right word. I'm trying to be realistic in, in the likelihood of it happening. And I'm not wanting to, um, I'm not wanting to go back to adjunct, which is Mm part-time being a professor where you end up teaching twice as much as a full-time professor, but making a third to a quarter of the salary. Yeah. You're not making it. Um, It's, and, and it's really stressful right? Because it's contingent. It's like a contingent contract every semester. So mm-hmm. um, so some of my friends at other universities and stuff are kind of encouraging me. They're like, oh, I can get you an adjunct class. It'll be okay. But I'm, I'm kind of like, if I'm not going to do this, I want to, I don't know, I want to be like, I want to just make a shit ton of money or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Right. If you're not going to have the work-life balance and have the dream job. I would... <laughs> I would really explore what the other options are. And I wouldn't say to close yourself off to being a professor, like, but I agree being realistic that there's just not as many positions because it's a niche position. Um, And then I would explore because you never know that maybe you, now you create a different, you know, freelance position for yourself or you start your own business or something and you end up liking it more. You don't, you know, because that's also very possible. It is. I just, yeah, it's just hard. I'm still, it's weird. I'm still raw. It's still raw. Raw, and I'm still doing my job. It's not like it's raw and you're done. Yeah. I'm done. It's like I'm still halfway through my semester. Like I still have students. I still have this. It's like, (laughs) it's a very strange thing. Uh, (laughs) Oh my gosh. Absolutely. But I think that you were smart, you know, obviously getting the retirement set up at the in December when we talked was important, but then. We didn't know we were going to hit a global pandemic. So I'm glad that you focused on the emergency fund. Obviously, having cash now is of the utmost importance. So you figure out what your next step is going to be. And that will hopefully alleviate some of the financial stress that can come with having these unknowns. I mean, Um, I'm a little sad I wasn't in the market because it grew so much the past year. But (laughs) I was like, when I saw it go down and everyone was freaking out and I was like telling my mom, my mom was like, oh my God, I'm losing all this money. I was like, do not take any money out. Don't take any money out. And I was right. just like, I wish I was like, in a, if I had had a ton to put in then, I would have made so much money, but I needed to, you know, I needed to stay liquid. So it didn't make sense to do something crazy. <laughs> no, it definitely didn't. It definitely didn't because like, God, the like worst case would have been you like dumped your emergency fund in there. And then instead of having a fast recovery, we like sunk into like a two year. Right. Like, I think I made the right decision, like, because who knows what would have happened, but having seen what did happen and like, like, oh man, I missed out. And I, I was like, but it's okay. 
no, you're doing you're doing the right thing. And I think that now not having any of those loans to worry about is huge. I think hopefully yeah. that gives you some more peace of mind as well. We still have private loans. So I know. that's part of I guess part of my question, and I think I I think I know your answer, but um so I right now I have more cash than my private loan is. And so there's part of me that's just like, I want to get rid of it. I want it gone. But the other part of me, again, still feels like I should just have cash on hand because I can't pay the mortgage with like a paid off school. Like, yes, correct. And you have to, you know, it's you, your husband and your child. Yeah. So like, you know, moving out and getting tenants and moving in with family isn't probably the best option as a backup. Right, 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 right. Right. You don't want to. We don't want to do that. So I would say, while it would feel great to have the private loan paid off because everything is still so up in the air, especially also with your husband, right? We don't know what it's yeah. going to go back to for him. There's just, I think there are too many unknowns right now to make that bold move and pay off okay. the loan just because I would feel more comfortable with it if you had secured income, whether that's on your own or you get, you you're going to be, it sounds like most likely you're going to be pivoting your career. And so I don't think in the time of pivoting is a good time to liquidate. I think you need to be flush with cash. And then that way that gives you more control. Yeah. It gives you more control over your future because you're not going to be forced into a job because a mortgage payment's coming up. Right. Right. And then, and then you can, you know, I think in six months and 12 months, you're going to have a lot more um, clarity on what the next chapter is going to look like for you and your family. And then once yeah. you have that clarity and more security, maybe you're making more then, right? So I hope so. That would be fantastic. And so then, and maybe you haven't gone through the whole emergency fund, then you right. could go and pay off the private loans. Yeah. Okay. And then we'll, we'll focus on retirement. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's just, yeah, I feel it's so weird that it's like, I'm in the bizarrely, like the best financial position I've been in like ever, right? But I'm at the edge of this cliff. So it's like... <laughs> right, you wouldn't expect it. So I, I would be thankful because you did the right things. And so now this is going to give you an... Oppor- I would look at this as an opportunity to really pivot your career. And you have the flexibility to take the time to do that and really explore what that's going to look like without the pressure of saying, I have to have, in, you know, I have, to have a job in three months wh- right. so that we can make the bills. Right. Yeah. And we are lucky with the rent and everything that we get that it offsets it. So. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you I know, do, I, I love it. We did good... do the refi and we did our refi. We got it in and it closed on it. On the So I got laid off on a Monday. We closed on the refi the Friday before I was laid off. Oh, so I was God. able to say, yes, I have full employment. Yeah. They do not like unemployment. Um, they like to see consistent <laughs> income. What was your refi? What rate did you get? We got two point seven five, which Phenomenal. I've heard of. I've heard of so much lower, but um, but yeah, that's still really low. Really, and, really low. I've heard of like the lowest I've heard is like I have like one person I know who got like a two point one, but that was a fifteen year. Yeah, so we I have to which a twenty year, okay. and we would have gotten a, if we were in a single family, we would have gotten a lower rate. But apparently the market is very um, timid about two families right now because of the um, eviction moratoriums. Yep. So a lot of people aren't getting their rent. Yep. Um, Correct. <laughs> so that like bumped up our interest rate, which kind of pissed me out because I was like, our renters are great. They have no problem. <laughs> yeah, it's, also, the, it's like, the lenders that were nervous. <laughs> yeah. But realistically, I mean, I wouldn't want us to have to cover it fully, but like our current income – not knowing about the layoff yet. Like we, we can cover Cover. it. We need to. So I was a little bit like, shouldn't you just give us what, what we would have gotten, but, but but still, it is, is, that's a really good, that is a really good rate. And yeah, there's a lot of variables that go into it. Um, the area where you're refinancing, right. Rates are dependent on area by the structure, right. Single family versus two family. And then the years like 15, 20, 30. Um, so I think that's a great, so I would be happy about that. And great that you got it done before you lost your job. Yeah, that was that was that was important. good timing. Yes, I'm so very glad we did it. I would say that. I mean, this is not like very exciting, but I think what you're doing is is right. I think storing cash and giving yourself the opportunity to 
figure out what your next step is going to be in your career is the best plan for now. Good. Kind of like a holding pattern, which is not that exciting, but I think that will allow you the luxury of time so that you really can figure out what this next step is going to look like and not get rushed into a crappy job because you have to make, you know, the mortgage payment and put food on the table. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Good. So I'm excited for you about the refi and I'm super pumped about the public uh, loan forgiveness. Like that's yeah. huge. And, then and I, I actually think if we talk again in a year, I bet you're going to be in a great position and, and thankful that this change was forced upon you. I hope so. Let's make it two years. I feel like a okay, year from two, two years. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to talk to you. I just, I don't know. I can't even imagine. I don't know. I don't even know. <laughs> Well, yeah, let's see. I will jot you down for two years. I'm sure I'll talk to you before then, but I think two years and I feel like it'll be exciting to see where you are. Thank you so much. This I really appreciate it. So Yeah, absolutely. It was, good. it was fun to have you on. So I will wrap this up for our listeners. The best place to follow us is going to be on Instagram at Future Rich Podcast. And you can check out all that we have going on. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. We do a weekly newsletter, which is on www.futurerichpodcast.com. And as always, you can check out our online classes that are in partnership with SUNY Ulster. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.